you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. When the fat lady sings the opera line from the Bugs Bunny uh, opera singer, if you remember her with the big iron lady, uh, that's when you know the show is real. Welcome to the show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Shut up already. Sit down. Uh, calm down. Uh, the big show is on, and uh, we appreciate you guys coming by for the Chris Voss Show Glow. For 15 years, we've been bringing you the uh, brilliantest minds in the uh, world, the CEOs, the Pulitzer Prize winner authors, the billionaires, the uh, people, uh, astronauts, White House advisors, you name it. They've all been on the show, and then idiots uh, like me, pretty much, uh, that have been on the show. But I named it after me and bought the mic, so I get to, that's how I got on the show. But in the meantime, we're bringing you three to four times a weekday, 10 to 15 times a week. Some of those brilliant minds, they're going to share your their research, stuff they put 10,000, 100,000, uh, a lifetime of research into, and you get it dispelled into this beautiful little cup of juice, of juicy juice. Uh, so, so nice. <laughs> uh, did you get to you get to enjoy for one hour on the Chris Foss show. So make sure you listen to all the episodes. And as always, that leads us into the guilt and shaming that we do. Go to goodreads.com for says Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com for says Chris Foss, Chris Foss, one of the tickety talkity, uh, and, uh, join the big LinkedIn group, LinkedIn newsletter. Also go to fa uh, what is it? Chris Foss, Facebook.com is the new thing we just started where you can chat with the show, uh, as we go along and do stuff, find out backstories on authors and all that good stuff as well. Uh, today we have two amazing authors on the show. Uh, they've got their new book that uh, just came out October 10th, 2023. MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. You may have heard of it and all that good stuff. Joanna Robinson joins us on the show and Dave Gonzalez. Welcome to the show, folks. How are you? Oh, so good. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah, for we're coming. excited to become a thought leader. It's going to be great. We're yeah, you guys, are, you guys are thinking thought leaders. You know, yeah. it takes a lot of smarts to write a book and do the Who research knew? and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you read my book. So welcome to the show, you two. Uh, let me start uh, by having you each uh, give us a bio rundown on both of you. Yeah, um, we have worked together for over a decade. We are podcasters, we are writers. I'll let Dave get oh. into his specifics. Um, but I've hosted podcasts about film and television for years and years. I wrote for Vanity Fair for eight years, and I'm currently at The Ringer doing podcasting there, um, again, about film and television. So, um, you know, this has been in our blood for a very long time, for sure. There you go. Dave? Oh, yeah. I started uh, writing about film for the internet uh, probably about 15 years ago. Wow. And then also when I started podcasting, uh, with Joanna, we really sort of drilled down on the podcast that we were uh, both doing on sort of the power of uh, taking adaptation pieces. So Game mm -hmm. of Thrones becoming a show or in this case, 
uh, Marvel Studios sort of uh, using the IP of the comic book properties to create a successful movie studio. So that's yeah. always interests me, sort of like the franchise uh, business aspect, where money-making meets storytelling is where I love talking about entertainment. Always follow the money. Uh, so uh, give us a 30,000 overview of the book and what it entails. Yeah, this uh, the phrase we love to use increasingly these days is soup to nuts, trying to give you the whole scope of Marvel Studios from its inception and the first film it made, which was Iron Man 2008, mm -hmm. to current day. We got as close as we could. Eventually, you have to turn your book in. Eventually, you have to stop writing. <laughs> but we got as close to current events as we could, uh, including things that happened you know, uh, over the summer of this year into the book to try to explain how a superhero movie studio could take over Hollywood for well over a decade, become the biggest mm -hmm. cultural and to your point about money, you know, uh, financial success that Hollywood had seen over the last uh, decade plus. So that was really interesting to us. We are Marvel fans, but, but this isn't just a fandom book. This is a book for people who love film history. This is a book for people who care about, the business of Marvel because it starts on a bunch of sort of unbelievable business deals is how it all came together in the first place. Um, it's just one of our biggest, most mythic stories that shaped the culture for, you know, like I said, over a decade. There you go. Dave, any thoughts you want to kick in? I mean, I would uh, jump in with some stuff that it isn't. This isn't about Marvel comics publishing. So if you're worried oh. about needing to have like 50 years of backstory, don't worry. We'll let you know when it's relevant. And it is not a movie by movie breakdown of things you need to know about the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, there are other great outlets for those sort of type of things. But as Joanna outlined, we're sort of about the entirety of Marvel studios who was controlling, who was making what movies, when, and how they sort of uh, did things like execute great in the China market uh, early in the 2010s to uh, become the biggest thing that we've seen in the 21st century so far. How did they compare in Hollywood in size to like other studios and other brands now? In size, I mean, they're still surprisingly small for the amount of box office cash that they're responsible for that might mm -hmm. be part of the problem that they're dealing with right now but you know they're tucked in under the disney umbrella right they're owned by disney and mm -hmm. so marvel and pixar and lucasfilm all owned by disney are sort of boutique studios to a certain degree compared to something like warner brothers or paramount etc um yeah dave what do you think about the size question yeah, they're um, a sort of a medium-sized studio, which I think became a much more viable option, I think, in the way independent filmmaking sort of took over the early 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, they are probably the size of something like an A24, or what we would categorize as an indie studio. They just have the financial backing of Mouse House, which allows them to uh, try some bigger budgeted things. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys wrote the book and I didn't, clearly, um, but Marvel was pretty down and out, wasn't it? When when the, 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 the comics um, and the people on the IP originally, weren't they pretty much down and out uh, when, when they came along, uh, whoever it was that came along to, to turn this into Hollywood stuff? 
Yeah, full on bankrupt. Uh, that's where we sort of start <laughs> our. I book. was going to say it, but I couldn't remember right. So, couldn't yeah. get downer or outer. Honestly. I wasn't sure. Yeah. yeah. So in the early '90s, they had some success, especially on the Fox animated side, because uh, the people who ended up uh, saving Marvel from bankruptcy were Ike Perlmutter and Avi Arad, who were mm -hmm. uh, members of Toy Biz, and so they were. They got a perpetual license for Marvel toys in the early 90s, and they were able to sort of uh, leverage that into some animated series. And really, without having something like the X-Men animated series selling toys on Fox Kids, you wouldn't have eventually gotten to something like the 2000 X-Men. That is all from the uh, Aviarad-Ike Perlmutter partnership. And then like around 1998, uh, the company went bankrupt as it was sort of being split into... Wow. I would classify them as junk bonds. Legally, I don't think I could say they're all junk bonds, but they were using the uh, Marvel company to produce value for uh, the parent company, and that uh, bottom fell out of that, leading to a large uh, bankruptcy struggle. And Ike Perlmutter and Avi Arad realized that given the deal that they had with Toy Biz, not only would they be losing their license, they'd be losing board seats at Toy Biz, and they really didn't want to give that to a corporate raider. And so they stepped in and they saved Marvel. And rather than selling it off for parts, they decided they were going to run it. And one of the best ways to execute that IP was to get Marvel in theaters. And that's what leads to things like X-Men wow. and Spider-Man in 2002. You know, it, how do you, you kind of have to feel stupid if you're running that company and, and it ran it into bankruptcy. You're just like, geez, we just had to take it to Hollywood. But maybe, maybe it wouldn't have worked because maybe CGI hadn't gotten to that point or something yet. I mean, they bought Fleer during the baseball strike, and they bought an Italian sticker company right before it all went bankrupt. So I don't know if it, we could blame it on not handling Marvel correctly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the success of Batman, Tim Burton's Batman in the 80s certainly mm -hmm. is part of the brick that builds this whole thing. So there was an appetite for superhero cinema. Um, the Batmania, Summer Batmania is what we like to call uh, 89. But um, to your point about visual effects, like then we got a string of stuff in the 90s that wasn't quite all there, um, you know, until really, I would say, you know, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films in the early aughts and then Christopher Nolan Batman films, like all of those started to uh, present a different kind of future for what a superhero movie might look like. There you go. Uh, so were you guys able to interview people uh, from Marvel Studios, get inside or, or ex-executives or whatever to try and you, I, my understanding is basically you try and map out the story and the how they created the hits, uh, maybe some of the disappointments, and uh, and and walk themselves through becoming this uh, powerhouse. Yeah, um, we were so I was lucky enough to be on set for Avengers Endgame, the last sort of big Avengers movie that they made when I was working at Vanity Fair. I did a cover story for Vanity Fair on Marvel, and which meant I got to talk to all the Avengers actors, and I got to talk to the head of the studio, Kevin Feige, for a couple hours. Wow. And only only like a fraction of those interviews made them into the magazine story. Mm -hmm. So we were able to sort of dig into those for the book. We talked to over a hundred people, including screenwriters, actors actors, um, you know, executives, all that sort of stuff, like tons of people, production designers, everyone that we could could find who wanted to talk about Marvel. 
But we were also obstructed fairly early on by Disney, who didn't want us to write ah. this book. And so we managed to talk to a lot of people, both on the record and off. Mm -hmm. We managed to, we, I can now confidently say I wasn't sure actually when we published it, but I have since heard from people who worked there that we got the story correct like we did mm -hmm. it um despite the fact that disney was trying to fight us the whole time and though it was frustrating to hear from people that they wanted to talk to us but disney told them not to at the end of the day this sounds like spin but like i do think it makes a better book for us to sort of be you know that we're not smoothing anything over or playing nice or anything like that because the studio was not holding any doors open for us they slammed doors in our faces so you know we didn't we're not the book is not like out to get them or anything yeah. like that but it's just sort of like this is we did not put on any gloves when we we wrote these stories so yeah the the journey of uh the journey in history of, of uh, this brand through hollywood you know I, it, it kind of seemed like for a time there that you know comic books i grew up with comic books we used to hoard them we used to keep them in our fort out back nice. in a in a special waterproof box and we would you know find any place we could find comics we'd we'd uh, grab a hold of them and put them in the storage that we had um but it, it kind of seemed like uh comic booking had become kind of this niche thing or kind of a nerdy side thing and uh it was like eh, there's some there's some guys who do that and i don't think they've seen women naked uh so they're <laughs> doing the comics thing um the and then it kind of exploded i don't know if comic-con exploded before uh the marvel studios started but i remember seeing the comic-con stuff start and just seeing people that it really it, it became like basically what i'm trying to say it seemed to have gone from something very niche to mainstream where people and, and maybe it was i i think i heard somebody say some of the world events the world just got so damn depressing maybe after 9 11 and uh other things it seemed like there was a rise of a need for a Superman or a superhero. We we kind of, as a culture, population, or humanity, just went, we need to start believing something greater because our humans keep failing us, maybe. I don't know. Is there any truth to any of that wandering? I mean, I think definitely. We have a chapter uh, that's one of our chapters on the development of Iron Man that is sort mm -hmm. of like, not only did they pick a character that not a lot of Marvel comics yeah. fans were huge fans of at that point, but they picked a guy whose arc is uh, he is a billionaire weapons manufacturer and he seems somehow surprised that his weapons are killing innocent people and that makes him turn himself into a weapon which was ex kind of the story that we needed at that time period in 2008 to reckon with what we of America had become yeah. uh, but starting there as opposed to starting where DC usually starts uh, which is Batman which is a very similar uh, billionaire who's had too much or Superman which is just let's just push as much good as we can into the world are uh, less exciting than something like Iron Man that uh, not only provided, I think, the same sort of optimism like Chris Nolan Batman could be in terms of, uh, you know, we're going to be able to rise above this particular turmoil, uh, but also really quickly uh, discarded with secret identities and stuff. So let's let our heroes be the heroes that they need to be is something that Marvel uh, would have embraced regardless of time period and country, but really was able to execute at the particular time period where they started. There was a version of that original Iron Man movie that was a period piece set around mm -hmm. sort of like the Vietnam war. And they decided, I mean, 9-11 is 
very much involved in the conversation around Iron Man and also the uh, subsequent Iraq war, like very, very much uh, mixed into the making of that. And if you look at those other successful superhero franchises that came before Spider-Man has uh, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man has like an overt 9-11 stronger together. We love New York sort of moment to it. Um, Batman also, uh, Nolan's Batman series also seems like it's a direct conversation with the Iraq war with 9-11. The thing that I love to point out that blows people's minds is that the first Harry Potter film and the first Lord of the Rings film came out within months. Both came out within months of 9-11 and, and both ex those franchises exploded. So I, it is my thesis that, um, you know, at least from a U.S. centric perspective, 9-11 really kicked off this era of fantasy storytelling, high fantasy storytelling, superhero storytelling that felt like a comfort we needed, um, a sort of clear black and white morality that we felt like we needed at the time. I think you said it perfectly. We need that clear black and white morality. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it seemed, it seemed like we reached a point where reality was just getting a little too harsh. I mean, 2008, of course, there was the, the big recession, the, uh, the great, uh, recession as they like to call it. Um, and it was a dark time, you know, and, and people, I guess, need to believe in more of a higher power, uh, for that sort of stuff. Um, I, I remember thinking, and you guys talk a little bit about this in the book about, um, picking Robert Downey Jr., who's an incredible actor, but I mean, mm -hmm. he came with issues, I think, at the time, or at least, you know, his prior history of, of alcohol and drugs and rehab, where he kind of fallen away out of Hollywood for a while, where he worked on that stuff, but still uh, just an astounding actor. But, you know, I remember when they launched Iron Man, I remember thinking in my head, Jesus, is that the, like, Iron Man, that's kind of down the line of, you know, <laughs> comic book characters like what yeah. the hell? You weren't collecting Iron Man comics in your dream house. <laughs> I don't think I was into it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I think I think we had a whole lot of other things first. So yeah, so, and me, so they had to take a risk on that, I imagine, because they're well, betting the farm. A couple things are going on. Like there's this big Merrill Lynch deal they made to get all the money that they needed for the studio in the first place. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, they did, as you, as you pointed out, they had a risk. They leveraged a bunch of characters against that deal. And if they didn't make back the money in time, they were going to have to give over Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Panther, all these various characters that they had leveraged. Yeah. At the same time, they don't own some of their bigger ticket heroes, like the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Spider-Man, they had given all those, the, the rights to all those characters away to other studios. Oh, wow. So they had what I believe Variety at the time called like the B-list, like the B-string <laughs> of yeah. superheroes. When they like them, yeah, you know, and they're like, we're going to do Iron Man, we're going to do the Hulk, we're going to do Captain America, we're going to do Thor. Um they started with Iron Man. They started with the Hulk. This is this this is part of the book that I love. They started with Iron Man because they were market testing these characters. They had you know these B list characters to pick from, quote unquote B list uh, to pick from, and um, they were market testing them with kids. And the kids knew nothing about like any of these characters, but they they loved the toy, the Iron Man toy. They just thought the Iron Man toy was so much cooler than the Captain America toy or the Thor toy. And then Hulk as a toy, as a piece of merchandise, had always sold well for them. Oh yeah, right. Hulk. You know, and they huh. like you know going back to the TV show and further, yeah, I said, like Hulk smash, yeah, Hulk smash, all that. So that's you get, because of like a toy focused group with kids is why we started 
with Iron Man. And Dave, do you want to tell the Robert Downey Jr. casting story? Oh, yeah, because they were flying by the seat of their pants or uh, hands and feet, or would be the case <laughs> of Iron Man. Uh, John Favreau was given a lot of leeway to develop what a Marvel movie was, how a Marvel production operated. And eventually, you know, it came down to one of the first big decisions where there was some differentiation is John Favreau was like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Like, this is the guy the fans will love him. Uh, he's ready to come back. We could get him for a price that we wouldn't be able to get <laughs> other actors for. Mm -hmm. um, and Marvel Entertainment on the East Coast, who's trying to control the whole brand, is like, well, what if we do like a Timothy Oliphant or something like that? And there, it comes to be like this sort of showdown uh, that ends when uh, casting director Sarah Finn, John Favreau, and Kevin Feige convince Robert Downey Jr. to come in and put his self on tape. And so he does like three scenes and that tape gets passed around and they're like, okay, we could do Robert Downey Jr. now. But uh, it, the improvisational nature of the production continued throughout the first one, which is sort of why even to this day, Marvel Studios will finish up movies weeks before they release, because that's what worked for them on the first Iron Man. The jokey tone uh, mixed with a billionaire weapons manufacturer worked for them. So mm -hmm. uh, Marvel Studios movies sense have sort of used Iron Man as a template, which is weird because it's the most independently minded of all their productions. And Downey's like tone, his like sort of snarky, wise ass tone if i can say wise ass on a podcast yeah. um like filtered down through the years and just like really set set the whole tone for the for the entire franchise he kind of has that elon musk cockiness at least in when he acts you know and he, he certainly he, tony stark does for sure yeah, yeah. He's five. <laughs> in fact i don't know maybe i think elon might have copied it from him because uh i don't know i've seen early stuff from what about the what about the choice of, of john favreau i mean here's a guy made one of my favorite movies of all time swingers yeah um, and most of his movies up until that point i'm looking at his imdb uh, I mean, we're just kind of relationship movies and kind of goofy rom-cons, I guess, maybe you call it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, how does he get the part for Iron Man to, to launch the make or break for this whole, this whole, uh, thing? Believe it or not, it's Elf. Elf is the movie that captures Marvel's attention. Oh. <laughs> he makes Elf because originally they wanted Fav Favreau was talking about doing the Captain America movie. And since Captain mm. America winds up eventually being this sort of like fish out of water, you know, this this guy, oh, your strange modern world. I don't understand it. That's what Elf is. And that's yeah. what like Captain America, you know, an original concept they had for Captain America was. So they're like, let's get the Elf guy to do Captain America. And then he wound up uh, working on Iron Man instead. But the thing that I love that's on John Favreau's IMDb before Iron Man that actually has a huge influence on the MCU is the movie Zathura, which is this like Jumanji sequel that not a ton of people necessarily saw. Oh, wow. But Favreau brought a bunch of people who worked on Zathura, including like Louis Desposito, who is the number two at Marvel Studios right now, huh. uh, production designers, uh, you know, concept artists, all these people. He brought all these people from Zathura over into Marvel to make Iron Man, and a lot of them just stayed. So you'll find like a lot of people with Zathura on their IMDb are still kicking around Marvel Studios, which I kind of love. There you go. And so do you you cover it up, I guess, imagine through Disney buying it in 2009. Oh, yeah. We go all the way to, yeah, the beginning of 2023. So Disney mm -hmm. buys it out. Uh, they have great success. And then they have to jump into whatever happened with Disney Plus. And we try to get our hands around that as much as anybody can these days. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy what's going on with. Uh, didn't they just increase their prices again, or am I thinking of Apple? All of them did. All, All of them, them did. just increased their prices. Oh, yeah. because probably because of the new the strike from because uh, what was going on with the strike, right? I think it's more that they just like literally were not turning a profit. <laughs> they oh, were wow. un they were underpricing the product, and they were just mm -hmm. hoping to kill the competition by now, so that they would be the only ones left standing. But that hasn't been the case. the The streaming wars go ever on, and they're still waiting to turn a profit on them. So. And it'll be interesting to see how the strike. I believe it's settled now, isn't it? The writer strike, strike is, is the sag after strike, strike is. still ongoing. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be interesting how that plays into streaming services, profitability, cost, and all that good stuff. Um, because uh, I imagine they're getting more money or it's a better deal, at least the, those that have settled. Uh, I know that uh, Robert Iger has talked about how they're, they need to quit publishing so much stuff and maybe scarcity is, is better. Yeah, I think that's a problem that he is right to point out that needs solving. It's mm. also a problem he caused. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> because it's sort of at, <laughs> at the end of his tenure, he's on top of the world. They're, you know, <clears throat> releasing Rise of Skywalker. They've acquired Fox. Uh, there's, you know, more Marvel movies come, come out. And so it's like sort of on his way out the door. He's like, oh, and all of my boutique studios that used to be just for theaters, they're going to be making content for Disney+. Plus. Okay, bye. And bye. then let's Bob Chakebeck come in. Uh, who was a, more of a parks businessman. Mm -hmm. And uh, through that sort of, uh, he's like, okay, you heard Iger, uh, we have to have content for Disney+. Plus. We're living in a subscriber game at this point in the streaming wars. So they're like, what's going to get us the most subscribers? And then you have, you know, a fan event where Kevin Feige and Kathleen Kennedy have to go out and say like, here's all the stuff we're working on, even though they may not have been ready to announce some of those things, because some of those things we still haven't seen on screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. The grab bag that everyone's after now for, you know, between all the streaming services. In fact, I can't even keep up with them. I think I finally just signed up with them all and just gave up trying to fight. <laughs> whatever. Like, <laughs> That's what they want. That's you're being the, the perfect streaming consumer. <laughs> I think I'm paying definitely more than what I used to pay for cable. I, I was an early Absolutely. unplugger. Absolutely more. But now that. I'm just being bent over. And uh, like, I should probably just beg for Xfinity to take me back or something <laughs> for cable. I remember when there was 500 channels and nothing to watch. And now I just pay twice as much for the same. <laughs> I had I had one of those cranky cable cutting moments the yesterday because I was trying to find a movie. It was like, you know, just like a classic movie from the 90s or early aughts. I can't remember what it was. Um, like one of the ones that used to play like all the time on TNT or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. I had to rent it. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere for free. And I was like, I subscribe to all of these streaming platforms and not a single one of them has oh it was the no it was the notebook the notebook i was like not a that's single a one popular of these movie too has the notebook under the deal you know what i mean i have to rent it fine i'll rent it you know but i was just sort of like i was i i did have i try not to be like too cranky old man shakes fists at clouds about <laughs> like in my day you know these it wasn't like this but um but yeah yeah welcome to that and i think yeah. apple just played some sort of game where they made it so if you subscribe to everything individually it's really painful but if you subscribe to the big package oh. it's like cheap or something for kind of for more of their accessories and whatever the hell they're doing over there I don't oh, know. okay like thank god android little, hasn't gone down that road a little, bundle, <laughs> a little bundle deal yeah i mean i don't 
I don't know what the breaking point of the streaming wars are going to be. Like we've, I've been waiting for that bubble to pop for a really long time, but like, you know, people keep subscribing. I, I said yes to all of mm-hmm. the fee hikes that I just got alerts for, you know, and like, <laughs> it's literally our job to watch all this stuff. So, yeah, so at least you can it, write it off. I yeah. can make that excuse, but at some point it's got to stop. Right. In theory. I don't uh. know. I need to start a I need to start a TV movie uh company so I can write off all the damn subscriptions I'm <laughs> I, I can't even exactly. watch them all. Like I don't even know how I just I'm just so frustrated, like you mentioned, where I'm just like, Hey, I wanna watch, I don't know, one of my favorite movies, Heat. Uh yeah. you know. Uh, I wanna see that again. Um where Heat, the notebook of the nineties. It's the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, more murdering. More a murdering. More, a little more murdering. Yeah. And then I guess Disney just is taking full control or fully bought out now. I don't know which Hulu. So that kind of takes one of the players off the table, I guess. There are rumors that Apple might buy Disney. Um, that would be really freaking. And you want to talk about corning the market? I mean, we thought that that's what was going to happen when Disney bought Fox. But yeah. Disney bought Fox, and still feels like there's a lot of options out there. But if Apple buys Disney, but again, like I'm not rooting for mega corporations either. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say about all this. <laughs> you know, I noticed that my uh, YouTube TV too has it, so I can do. I think they've got two or three of the streaming services that you can buy through them. Uh, so I don't have to be hopping all over the place. You know, I think they've got, uh, I think they got, uh, what's the one that starts with the P it's the old Paramount plus Paramount plus. Mm-hmm. And then I think they've got, uh, HBO and I think you have Peacock and stuff. So I think you can kind of try and centralize them. But yeah. I, I go on, I go so many times on, on Google and I'm like, where do I stream X, Y, Z movie? I want to watch. Mm-hmm. And thankfully most things are centralized on Pornhub. So there's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. luckily, Ebob's world still exists. So, <laughs> so I was going uh, to say, by the way, since you mentioned Pornhub, when you were like, we had a, we had a watertight box that we put our comics in in the treehouse. Was it just comics in the waterproof box that you had out in the woods? Or I, we were we were ten to twelve year old boys. I have no comment. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But there was there was some uh, parental father raiding of private stashes that, uh, and I remember we were like, "What do you do with that?" Oh, uh, that we couldn't. We couldn't figure out. So we were at the age where we weren't quite sure what any of that was about, but yeah, we're like, these people are really into this for some reason. So maybe I keep hearing the articles are amazing. So. <laughs> the comics are great. The articles, yeah, that's why. The uh, there you go. Uh, so uh, what do you think? Maybe uh, you want to tease out any some su- su- things that people are going to be su- uh, surprised about if I can learn to pronounce things. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was very excited, and it was part of sort of the origin story of the book um, to learn more about the story of David Maisel, who's one of the exec, the key executives, mm-hmm. if not the key executive, uh, that made Marvel Studios possible. But he's the guy who saw uh, 2003's Daredevil, the Ben Affleck one, and was like, mm-hmm. surely there is a way you could be doing better with these. And so through his entertainment context, he was able to get a meeting with Ike Perlmutter over lunch at Mar-a-Lago in 2004. And he proposed to Ike, he's like, what What if you had your own studio? So instead of licensing out Spider-Man, Sony gets to make a Spider-Man movie, you get maybe 30% of the profits. 
what if you had all the profits that then you could use as you see fit? And so Ike Perlmutter was really interested in that. But being that he's a shrewd businessman, that Ike Perlmutter, he's like, only come back to me if I could pitch it to the board with zero money down. So that is where David Maisel got to work and through pre-selling some rights to movies, which is very normal. And mortgaging those characters to Merrill Lynch for over $500 million, which is very not mm -hmm. normal. Uh, they're able to start Marvel Studios. And uh, David Maisel was their first president uh, and was sort of working along with Kevin Feige and Avi Arad. And then David Maisel is the one who gets uh, Bob Iger in touch with Ike Perlmutter in 2009 to start the Disney process. So he was just so integral to the big things. And when we started this book, there was a lot of different narratives and there was a lot of, I think, uh, motivation to, you know, be like Kevin Feige. He's at the top now. He was always on his way there. And we discovered that, like, he was constantly working, but it's really these, like, very key business decisions with David Maisel. Oh, third one I really like. He got the rights to use the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, mm -hmm. in a co-production with Universal. Yeah. Uh, but he could then, Marvel can then use the Hulk as long as it didn't have Hulk in the title. Hulk was considered a side character and they didn't have to use Universal as a producing partner. So he sort of reclaimed the Hulk <laughs> rights without letting those expire. With like so. a loophole in the contract. Like basically they had sold the Hulk off to Universal and Universal's like, we're not giving the Hulk back. We know yeah. we kind of messed up with our Hulk movie, but we're not giving, we're not ready to give him back. And so David sits <laughs> down with a contract and he like figures out via the language that Marvel Studios can use the Hulk. They don't need to work with Universal as long as it, the movie is not called Hulk. So the first Hulk movie, they worked with Universal. But uh, when Hulk shows up at the Avengers or Thor Ragnarok or Civil War, uh, no, not that one, um, then, you know, Ultron, then like his name isn't in the title. So they don't have to work with Universal at all. And that's just like a language loophole in the contract that David Maisel found. That's I really love that funny. about him. Um, yeah. I still got to do it. I still got to do a callback joke on the Mar-a-Lago thing. Uh, yeah. but he missed yeah. an opportunity there. He could have had Iron Man, the classified files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Mar-a-Lago, we have a chapter called once upon a time at Mar-a-Lago. Like, oh, yeah. The fact that like one of the, I, I would say the most consequential conversation around Marvel studios happened at Mar-a-Lago and Donald wow. Trump was there is maybe it's very, worth very 10 well. billion uh, as he claims after all. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, the the Dave mentioned uh, the character of Ike Perlmutter a couple times. Ike Perlmutter. Um, this is the one that I think people will be like. Well, in addition to everything that Dave said, which I also agree with, the the civil war between Marvel West Coast, which is Marvel Studios and all the filmmakers over in California, and Marvel East Coast, which is the comic book company Marvel Entertainment, their parent company. This is like the Bloods and the Cribs of Ex film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, rages sort of throughout uh, the first 10 years of Marvel Studios um, where Marvel East Coast at first says, go ahead and make your little movies. Don't, don't cost us any money, but go ahead and make your little movies. You go ahead and try. Sure, that's cute. And then they make Iron Man, and Iron Man is just this like bonanza <laughs> hit, makes all this money, is so popular. And then all of a sudden, Marvel East Coast is like, um, actually, uh, we would like to be involved in this. Like, we, uh, we see the potential for money. We feel like we have a lot of opinions we want to give. So they form something called the Creative Committee in Marvel East Coast, oh, which wow. is, uh, you know, there's some great creative, actual creative people on there, like Joe Casada, Brian Michael Bendis, like these great comic book people. But they're also really just a mouthpiece for Ike Perlmutter to exact 
certain, um, I would say to be polite, regressive ideas about who and what should be a hero. So mm -hmm. when they want to have like a female villain in Thor the Dark World and he's like, no one's going to buy action figures for a female villain. Like put Malekith the Has Dark you Elf. Barbie? Like, you know, like, well, <laughs> well, later they used that character. That female villain was played by Kate Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok and everyone loved it. Yeah. But they couldn't do it in Thor the Dark World because Marvel East Coast thinks because they come from the toy world, they think yeah. only basically white men named Chris like sell toys. Is, is that so, the people I was talking about who haven't seen women naked? Uh, uh, you like, know, yeah. like they, that's, that was their thinking. And they so, have the box uh, in the treehouse. Uh, I mean, listen, everyone <laughs> had the box in the treehouse, but, um, <laughs> but the, um, the, so that's why for so long, you know, we didn't have female led superhero movies. We didn't have uh, non-white leads and superhero movies, like all this sort of stuff that's happened weird. because of this back room power struggle happening between marvel west and marvel east women and girls buy merch too i mean when i was sure growing do. up even as a kid back in the day i mean we had our gi joes the girls had the barbies you know exactly. well i mean the whole reason one of the reasons i think the main reason that disney bought marvel in the first place is because they thought they had like the princess market cornered and they wanted the Jedi's from Lucasfilm and the superheroes from Marvel. And so mm -hmm. they're like, we'll get the boys that way, but it's not, it's not that simple at all. No. And um, once Marvel West is finally able to make movies like black Panther and the first captain Marvel movie, like those movies make a billion dollars, you know, oh. and it's like are the biggest things in the world. So yeah. it's just like, it's ridiculous. Black Panther was so good as a movie. I, I never saw it, but it was so good for uh, if culturally, uh, it, it was so good for everybody. Like people love that movie, and and seeing a black character in it as elite, and I think it's mostly black characters. Um, but you know, seeing something different, and I think it was great. I think it was a great movie culturally. People really loved it. I remember how heartbroken everyone was in, when the star passed away. Unfortunately, yeah, and we were lucky enough to talk to Chadwick Boseman before oh, he wow. passed away for the book uh, because we've been mm -hmm. working on this book for a very long time, and um, it's very it's it's frankly, it's devastating because he told us this story about how he and Brie Larson who plays Captain Marvel and Tom Holland who plays Spider-Man were sitting around the set of Avengers Endgame talking about how they were the future of Marvel. They're like, look at us. We're the future of Marvel, you know? And then like Brie Larson got hit with a bunch of dumb fanboy nonsense and Chadwick Boseman passed away and the deal between Sony and Marvel that is behind all of the Spider-Man movies has been much more complicated than anyone hoped it would be. And so, you know, Marvel, the, like the best laid plans for Marvel have been sort of falling apart, which is why in the last couple of weeks, especially there's just been a lot of noise about, is it over for Marvel? Is this the mm -hmm. end? for marvel dave what do you think is this the end for marvel no no i like it's <laughs> if you look at uh market forces of the types of entertainment that we're talking about it's a rough year for superhero movies i'll give that to everybody across the board uh but it's also been a rough year for a lot of different types of movies uh the strikes have uh, been pushing a lot of content yeah. letting other content sort of having to flood in or, or make do with uh, producers and ads without the stars or writers talking about it. Um, so it's definitely been a hard time for the entertainment industry in general. But for me, like the bellwether is Marvel as a brand is a certain type of thing. And they have a lot of experience on the publishing side, on the merchandising side with ways to 
refresh this for new audiences, uh, make sure that they're going to be able to do that. Uh, so for me, uh, the, the brand that's the bellwether is the Avengers brand. If they release a movie that's titled Avengers whatever and it bombs, then I'm going to start being worried. Until uh -oh. now, I think they're just building out. Uh, they're doing what they were directed to do uh, by Bob Iger when he first uh, left, which is, you know, push push everything onto the field that you can and sort of bring it all together later, which is why we sent spent a Marvel phase, phase four, uh, without an Avengers movie, because it was about exploring different corners of the Marvel universe. And to some people, that's reading as fatigue, like, I don't want to go see the Marvels because I don't want to watch the like multiple shows. But the reality in any type of storytelling is you shouldn't have to do that type of homework. It's going to work as a mm -hmm. single piece or it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think Marvel's still living and dying based more on that, whereas the perception is, oh, I have to watch like 32 movies. I don't think you do. Everybody's something's first movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, and the thing is, the thing I like about the, the Marvel stuff is there seems to be ongoing threads of stories. Like I'm, I, maybe it's just me or maybe I've just seen, I don't know. Um, but, but the, it, watching the repetitive nature of Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, mm -hmm. I don't think Superman's, well, yeah, Superman's been done. It's just kind of like, do we still have to tell the same story? I look at it the same way I do Star Wars. It's like, can we tell a story that doesn't involve the fucking Death Star already? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sick of it. Uh, yeah. But maybe that's just me. I'm not a that big of a fan. But that's what I liked about the Marvel movies. They seem to, you know, they seem to develop and go places. You know, and they appeal to. I think because they have such a broad range of characters in each set. You know, men, women. You know, maybe if you like certain types of personalities, you can you can identify with them. Yeah, I think that's Marvel at its best. Like Marvel mm -hmm. at its best it offers so much beyond. Because I think I was talking to someone. Where maybe it was. Maybe, I don't know. Who are we talking to? I don't know. I don't mean to steal their idea, but uh, I don't think Marvel is as successful if they hadn't had to be so scrappy at the beginning mm. and figure out how to make Iron Man work and figure out how to make Captain America work and figure out how to make Thor work to an audience that wasn't very familiar with them. Because if they had started with X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man, that's a different bar of expectations that you start with. Cause you start with the comics that everyone's familiar with that, you know, your Chris Vosses had in waterproof boxes in their tree houses. You know what I mean? Like, but if you start with these other characters, they don't have, they're not burdened with that much expectation. And so they can just, I, I know who I stole this from. It's from my colleagues, uh, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenberg on the watch. Um, but like the, um, you don't have as much a burden of expectation. And so you can just sort of dazzle them with something they haven't seen to your point with something they haven't seen before. And what's so interesting is that when we talk to all these actors and filmmakers, et cetera, about, what they thought the most important Marvel movie was. You would expect Robert Downey Jr., uh, you know, Elon Musk like to say Iron Man, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. They said <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't know if oh, you've that watched was huge. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've watched those, but like, you know, the fact that the audiences saw a talking raccoon and a talking tree and everything else that was so weird about that. And we're like, yeah, okay, we're into this too. That's when Marvel knew they could push the boundaries on certain things and still bring people along for the ride. So I think to your point, there's only so many times we can watch uncle Ben die or the Waynes die in crime alley or, you know, Clark crash to earth in Smallville, you know, like there's, we've seen it and, but we hadn't seen a talking raccoon. And yeah. so that just felt so fresh and exciting. 
I remember that was a huge hit. Uh, so final thoughts as we go out, guys, uh, to encourage people to pick up the book and uh, all that good stuff. Final thoughts, Dave? Um, uh, I think now is an especially great time if you're uh, involved with Marvel, if you're watching Loki, if you're going to see the Marvels, if you're excited about Marvel Spotlight kicking off in January with Echo, if you're deep into it, uh, I think this is a book for you because we are going to put it in a perspective uh, that I encourage you to uh, absorb and then decide whether or not you agree or disagree with. If that's not you, if you uh, saw Barbie, Oppenheimer, and Five Nights at Freddy's, boy, do I have an excellent Hollywood story to tell you about <laughs> uh, in MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. I've been so happy since the book has been out uh, less than a month. But hearing from people from all sorts of uh, fandom spectrum parts, just about how fun the book is to read. So uh, that's something that Joanna and I wanted to try our best. We could never predict. Uh, so con consumer advocacy says fun to read no matter who you are. And I would like to co-sign that. Our, our, the, our third co-author, Gavin Edwards, is missing from this interview, but he is the one, like, I did I did the lion's share of the interviews, Dave did lion's share of the research, Gavin is the one who sort of, like, wove it all together in this great tapestry, and because I'm complimenting Gavin and not myself, I feel like I can say this, like, what we like to say is that pages, the pages turn themselves, like, it's just, his tone is so fun and so engaging, um, it's just a joy, like, to read even the stuff that we already knew, because we did the research and we did the interviews, and then Gavin sort of worked his magic with it and then it just sort of zips along it's really fun so yeah i was i was um i was over at a, a friend's house last night and her dad who's like in his 70s and doesn't really read and doesn't care about marvel told me that he's reading the book and that he's just having the best time because it's so fun to read and i was like okay okay so you know that's one person's uh anecdotal evidence but i i do think that there's you know it's, again, it sounds like spin, but why else are we here? I do think there's something for everyone, and I do think it's a fun read. So I hope there you, you check it out. Hollywood is still alive. <laughs> still alive, even after all the things uh, that, uh, whatever. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, both of you, for coming on the show. Really appreciate you guys spending the time with us today. Uh, give us your .coms. Where do you want people to find you guys on the interwebs? <clears throat> yeah, all things related to the book are at the mcubook.com. Um, I'm at Joe wrote this on all social media platforms, Joe wrote this.com. Dave? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. If you want to find me on Twitter, X, or, or Blue Sky, I'm DA7E. If you want to find me on any of the meta products, Instagram threads, I'm grumpy DA7E because that's <laughs> the side of me that comes out with meta products. Wow. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, folks. We really appreciate it. Uh, also, uh, folks, order up the books wherever fine books are sold. Uh, MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, out October 10th, 2023. Uh, I'll be waiting for the second book on uh, when uh, Apple buys Disney or something. That would be such an interesting purchase. I know. <laughs> yeah, it would be just crazy. Brace yourself. <laughs> Brace yourself. But there you go. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss one on the tickety talkity. And uh, also, what is it? Chris Foss, Facebook.com, the new chat for uh, the Chris Foss show. Thanks for tuning in. Be good with each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. <clears throat>